0: Well good evening everybody. My name is Andrew Errington. I'm one of the other pastors of this congregation. Sorry while I just moved this lectern. Um, And it's a real privilege to be with you this evening as we begin looking for a few weeks at some of the Psalms. Let me pray again as we come to think about God's Word. Father we give you thanks for this opportunity now to think about Uh, This Psalm 142, and we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and we pray that you would help me to help us know how we might pray better. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, Well, it's a statement that uh, is obvious, but that still often, sadly, needs to be stated, uh, that Christians experience difficult and dark times. Times of sickness times of confrontation with death, doubt and distance from God, loneliness, fear and frustration. Um, I've been through some times like this actually uh, and I know there are some of you here tonight going through times like this at this very moment. As one of the skills of the Christian life to learn how to handle these times, how to respond, how to stop them From completely hitting you for six and it's one of the tasks of pastors to help people to make their way through them. Of course in the event it's actually very rarely a matter of any skill uh, and mostly the things that other people say to you are completely useless but nevertheless finding a way to navigate difficult times dark times is a normal and important part of the Christian life Now, one of the things people often suggest is helpful in these these times is to read the Psalms. And that's because a whole lot of the Psalms give voice to the experience of an individual, often identified in the heading as David, suffering in faith. And it's often felt that these prayers can therefore be a great help to those going through dark times because they, they make space for the kinds of feelings That people in these times are having anger, fear, frustration, disappointment. They kind of give believers permission to feel these things. Now there's something profound and important in this and something we don't want to deny at all. But there's also more to be said. And that's because in the experience of many people, the Psalms are actually not always simply affirming in this way. The Psalms can also be alienating. Reading the Psalms can be an experience of finding one's feelings reflected and affirmed, but it can also, and I suspect very often is, be an experience of feeling a bit disconnected. Feeling a bit like, I don't know how to relate to this. This evening, what I want to do is to explore these issues by looking at a classic psalm from a dark time, Psalm 142. It's on page 620 of your Bibles, and it'll be really useful for you to have it open. And what I want to suggest is that this experience of alienation as well as affirmation, of feeling disconnected as well as connected, is actually the key to reading the psalms rightly and to a way in which that they can be more deeply helpful to us than in just having our experience validated and affirmed, though I don't want to deny that is important. And My hope is that this sermon will actually make us excited about reading the Psalms, because we're going to do it together for the next couple of weeks. So let's have a look at Psalm 142, if you've got it there. This Psalm is in no list of favorite Psalms that I know of. Uh, And yet, in many ways, it's a model of the kind of psalm we're interested in, psalms that are prayers for God's help, prayed from a dark place. The subtitle in the small print uh, sets the tone. By the way, I hope you know that those subtitles um, are actually an original part of the Hebrew text. Uh, We tend not to read them out when we read the Bible. Um, Fiona reads wonderfully, so I'm sure she won't mind. I think we should. I think we should read them out because they're, they're in the original. They're not added in like the other headings. And this one says, a mascal of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. Now, a mascal uh, is some kind of Hebrew musical term we don't understand. Uh, There's actually a bunch of them in the Psalms. Another one is the word selah, which you find in the margins. And what was it? We don't know. But it helpfully reminds us that these words were read and sung in synagogues and the Hebrew temple for a long time before we had anything to do with them. Uh, David in the heading is, of course, King David, the greatest king of Israel, who you can read about in the books of Samuel. Uh, And the cave mentioned here is probably a reference to 1 Samuel 22, where David is fleeing from King Saul and hides in the cave of Adullam. Um, Now, David was the author of many of the Psalms, though many others seem to have been just kind of linked with him as a representative figure. Uh, I'll come back to that later, actually. I think it's important. Uh, For now, though, let's just notice how evocative, how powerful and intriguing this introduction is. When he was in the cave. This is a prayer from a dark place, from a place of hiding and of fear. As we'll see, it's a prayer from a man who has pretty much reached rock bottom. That was a bad pun. It's not meant to be. Maybe he's in a cave, probably made of rock. There you go. Okay, so how does this prayer, this poem, how does it go then? Well, let's read it again together. It begins with a description of crying out, shouting for God's help. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. What stands out here is the way David describes this prayer. He is lifting up a complaint to God. He's telling him his trouble. There's no pretending. There's no flattering. He is in need. And he tells God about it. In fact, he cries it aloud. He shouts it. This is not a silent meditation. And yet what follows is immediately a deep expression of faith. Look at verse 3. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. The psalmist has a complaint, yes, but this is not just an angry shake of the fist at God. The psalmist prays out of a, a confidence in God that is not shaken a trust in God, when everything within him gives up. I think that phrase, when my spirit faints within me, it could almost be a description of a a kind of a panic attack. He believes that God knows his way. God knows who he is, has a path for him to walk, and sees what he cannot. But this trust doesn't just mean there's nothing to complain about. In fact, it only makes the situation he's in more difficult to understand. Look at where verse 3 goes. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look at my right hand and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. God may know his way, but that only makes it more difficult to understand why there's a snare in his path. What are you doing here, God? is the subtext. The right hand is a biblical image for where the close companion would stand, but the psalmist looks there and there's no one. And so he calls God to look, see. And he has no refuge, no safe place, nowhere he can rely on. And finally he says, no one cares for my life. Uh, that could also be translated, no one inquires after my soul. He feels that there is no one who is truly attentive to him. He is the center of no one's attention, so it seems. This, pre- this predicament has refocused David, it has clarified for him where his faith lies. Look at verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. There is no one else and there is nowhere else. So he's thrown himself on God in dependence and hope. And this description of his cry, the first five verses kind of describe the prayer he's praying. But it leads David to a call to God to listen. Look at verse 6. Listen to my cry. For I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. Set me free from prison that I may praise your name. The tone's pretty bold, isn't it? Listen, rescue me, set me free. Uh, The word for listen actually has a real sense of urgency and insistence to it. Pay attention. There's a question for God here, I think, a question about why he hasn't answered his prayers so far. More than anything else in the psalm, these verses give us a glimpse of the experience of the psalmist. I am in desperate need, he says. Actually, that phrase is difficult to translate. Other English versions have, I am brought very low. I like that. It's a description of someone from whom almost everything has slipped away. The other powerful image here is, set me free from my prison. That's powerful because what is the prison? Is it it the cave? Is it the whole situation? Is it his mental state? Whatever the reason, David feels himself to be imprisoned, trapped, stuck. The psalm concludes though on a bit of a different note. I don't know if you noticed it when Fiona read it. It's kind of a jolt, this note of confidence. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. And actually it's even more than that because the "then" the word then is not actually there in the original. It's just the righteous will gather around me. The translators have added it because it It feels a bit weird without it. It kind of makes sense if it's an, if you do this, Lord, then the righteous will gather around me. But it's more abrupt than that. He just ends the prayer by saying, the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. The psalm finishes with this real assurance, confidence. God will look after him and that is going to change things. Well, what do we make of this psalm? I think there is a powerful encouragement for us in suffering in this psalm. It affirms and describes experiences we may well be able to relate to. It reflects an experience of of crying out to God for help, of needing an answer and being frustrated by apparent silence. There is an example here of faith going through a dark time of being brought very low, almost to despair. Faith that speaks from the cave. And this should be an encouragement to us, I think, in our struggles. These are not words of a neat and tidy faith, where everything makes sense and things go well, where you move from strength to strength and success to success. Even more than that, this psalm is a reminder that Christian faith does not have to simply shrug and say it's God's will. This is how people often think about Christian faith, and there are other religions where that's kind of all you're allowed to say about suffering. It's God's will. But the God of the Bible is not a God who you can't ask questions of. This psalm is an affirmation of our desire to ask why, of our confusion and frustration, The psalmist makes it very clear. He has a problem. He has a complaint. His language is so bold. Listen. He demands a response from God. And the God of the Bible is a God who gave us these words, who opens himself up to complaint and who can handle it. I hope this is an encouragement to you if you're going through a tough time, to not feel like you just have to shut up and wait and see how things work out. Christians do believe in saying your will be done. Absolutely. Our New Testament reading made that very clear. But we don't believe in saying that in a way that closes down speech, in a way that means you're not allowed to ask questions. Christians speak. They tell God their trouble. And if God's okay with that, we need to be a church that's okay with that. We mustn't be a community where any expression of confusion or distress or any sense that God has has something to explain, we mustn't be a church where that feels threatening to us. And so we squash it. We don't need to be like that. God can handle our uncertainty. And we have to be able to tolerate it too. That doesn't mean there aren't right ways to do this. In fact, as we'll see, this psalm has a lot to teach us about that. we need to hear that. And I hope that's something encouraging and affirming. But we do also need to notice, don't we, that there are other things that make it not completely straightforward for us to connect with this psalm. Perhaps you felt this on the way through. I think there are elements in this psalm that also make it a bit alienating. For one thing, the trouble this psalm describes is a bit different to what we mostly experience. Because the trouble in this psalm has particularly to do with enemies. People who the psalmist says have hidden a snare, who pursue me, and who are too strong for me. We don't mostly have enemies. I mean, sometimes maybe we do, and that would suck, but mostly we don't. And this makes it a bit tricky for us to relate to this experience. And this is not just a problem in this psalm either. This is a feature of almost all the psalms that are prayers for help. And it creates a sense in which this psalm doesn't quite connect with our experience. The other thing that I think has this alienating effect is the way the psalm combines complaint with faith. You see... We kind of like the idea that it's okay for us to complain, but the way the psalmist complains is, is not offensive to God. In fact, it's, it's, it's got this rich, deep faith that almost gets deeper in the midst of the complaint. At the very heart of his difficulty, he can still say, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. He, he can still believe in God and know that he is good. There's also there's no sense of his not being genuine when he says, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Can we, can we say that the way he does? Also, I don't know how you responded when you saw that line, uh, verse 7. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. When I first read it, I found myself kind of thinking, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's a bit phony, you know? He's just trying to say something that will get him in God's good books. But actually, I think that says more about me than about him. That just shows that I'm not like the psalmist at this point. I don't believe with the same passion and conviction that he does. Because that's not fake. That's actually what he wants to happen. This is a genuine expression of faith, as is the final moment of confidence in God. And it's a bit hard for us to relate to because that kind of clarity of hope and desire is a bit intimidating. So this psalm, like so many others actually, is both affirming and a bit alienating. It connects with our experience, but it also, in some ways, is a bit hard to connect with. Now, it's tempting for us to just skate over that sense of disconnection, to ignore it and to focus on the good bits, the bits we can connect with. I don't know if you've done that when you've read the Psalms. You just kind of keep flipping through. Oh, that's, that's a bit weird. Can't say that. Aha. Uh-huh. That, that I like, you know. But we need to not do that. Because that sense of disconnection is actually, I think, the key to the Psalms being a help to us in a deeper and richer way. Because the aim of the Psalms, you see, is not just to affirm our experience, but to help us grow in those experiences and to teach us to experience in new ways. Let me explain what I mean. Um, One of the ways to get at this is to remind ourselves that the voice in these psalms the voice that says i cry aloud to the lord i lift up my voice is not actually our voice first and foremost are uh, we so quickly don't we we rush to thinking of them from our perspective and that that's understandable but it's helpful to just pause and remember that the i who speaks in these psalms is not first and foremost you or me In fact, there's a way in which these are somebody else's prayers that we're joining in on. As we've gone through, I've used the words David and the psalmist to talk about the voice in these psalms. And that's because, as we saw, David is identified in the heading to the psalm so that we're meant to understand this psalm in connection with him. But David was much more than just a historical figure with a particular set of experiences. He was Israel's king. These prayers are the prayers of the king. Now, that means two things. First, this is a bit complicated, but I want you to follow. I think it's helpful. First, because King David was a representative figure, someone whose experience of faith is kind of, you can kind of identify with, symbolically. These are prayers for all God's people. All God's faithful people. Now, you might think, hang on, you just said they're not really for us, first and foremost. Yep, they are for us, but they're not just for us. They're prayers for all God's faithful people. They're not just David's private prayers, but they're prayers that represent the kind of common or typical experience of God's people. And that's why we can say these Psalms as our own, but it's also why they're not just our own. What these prayers do is they link us with other believers throughout the world and throughout history with their experience of faith. And that can help us, I think, with some of the bits we struggle with. Because although we may not experience the things we pray here others do um, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world they know what it is to be pursued and threatened by enemies a few weeks ago there was a nigerian man who visited the morning congregation whose wife had been murdered just a few weeks before because he was a christian far out when we pray these prayers you see part of what we're doing is identifying in faith with the experience of believers around the world and across time. But second, we need to go further than this. Because in the logic of the Bible, the fact that the Psalms are the prayers of the King means that these Psalms are most of all prayers that we need to associate with Jesus. Because Jesus is the son of David, the true king of God's people and the perfect example of faithfulness. And for this reason, the Psalms are quoted more in the Gospels than any other book. And in particular, Psalms of prayer like this one are constantly used to interpret Jesus' experience of suffering. Jesus, you see, is the one who prayed these prayers most truly and most fully. As we caught a glimpse of in our New Testament reading, he experienced the depth of suffering the Psalms testify to, enemies seeking his life, abandonment by his friends, the pain of God's distance. And yet he also held onto the faith and confidence in God in his suffering that the psalms speak of. He didn't give up on God. He did not waver in his confidence of salvation. When we read psalms like this, what we're doing is joining in Jesus' prayers. Um, This is true, actually, in a very simple sense, which is actually kind of lovely. It's just definitely true that when we read the psalms, we are reading words that Jesus read and prayed over and over again throughout his life. There is no doubt that these were his psalms, the ones he read in church, in synagogue, and that he loved them. And that's a beautiful thing. What a privilege to have the same prayers in our language, in our hands. But it's also true that we join in Jesus' prayers in a deeper sense. Because the psalms testify first and foremost to his experience of faith in suffering and when we pray them what we're doing is joining with him in that and that helps us i think it helps us see how the psalms can help us in an even richer way than simply giving voice to our suffering without suggesting for a moment that that's not significant But the purpose of the Psalms is not just to affirm our experience, but to take us somewhere with it. The gap between our own experience of faith and the Psalms is not actually a problem with them, but is the key to how they can really deeply help us. Because what the Psalms do is to connect us with an experience of faith that is in an important way, not our own but is the experience of God's faithful people, and most importantly, of Jesus. And by joining in that experience, by making these seemingly strange words our own, we can grow in faith and learn new ways of trusting and hoping in God. When we read this psalm, we can start to learn how at rock bottom we can still know God's care for us. We can start to move towards a faith that knows that God really is our only refuge and that we are not strong enough on our own. How really we believe that. And we can learn to focus our hopes upon the right things, the opportunity to praise God and to celebrate His goodness. The Psalms, you see, are not meant to be just easy for us to read and connect with. We're not meant to just see our experience reflected in them. Sometimes we will, and that's great, a blessing. But the Psalms aim to do more than that. They aim to teach us to experience life in new ways, in the way of faithfulness, in the way of Jesus. Uh, If you like, they're like, I think, like musical scales for faith that you play over and over again and so work in the right habits new patterns, new ways of operating. That's how the Psalms can be most deeply helpful in our dark times because by praying them in our times of suffering, they can become times of faith and of deep connection to Jesus. But that's also why the Psalms are not just for dark times but for all times. In fact, Psalms like this one are perhaps especially important to say when things are going well. Because it's then that we need to remember to identify with those suffering in faith and to hope in God. And it's then that we need to be reminded of Christ's experience of faithfulness. Psalms like this one can help us by jolting us out of the complacency of a kind of happy and you know it faith. And that's why, just to conclude, we say Psalms in church. And we're going to keep doing that. Even when they feel a bit weird, even when they feel a bit, dare I say it, this is sacrilege, a bit inauthentic. Because we don't actually just want to express ourselves in prayer. We don't want to just express ourselves, we want to express our new selves which as the Apostle Paul put it in Colossians, and as we've really been reading about in Ephesians, are being renewed in knowledge in the image of their creator, in the image, that is, of Jesus. That, I think, is what the Psalms can help us with. Let me pray. Lord, you give us Gifts, sometimes, that we don't quite know what to do with at first. But we want to thank you for them. And we want to ask that you would help us learn to use them rightly. And, Father, we thank you for the Psalms that we find a bit difficult, as well as the Psalms that really connect with us. And, Lord, we pray that through them you would work in us by your Spirit to make us more like your Son, Jesus.